Welcome to the Happy Place podcast. I'm Rina, your host. I'm a Shibari artist, tantric body worker, former dominatrix, and extreme sports athlete. I guide people to their core, creating safe spaces for healing and self-discovery. Since childhood, I've challenged societal norms. Through extreme sports, tantra, unconventional sexuality, and psychedelics, I've discovered profound truths. This podcast is for seekers like me, exploring meaning and spiritual illumination in the midst of life's intensity. Get ready to be inspired, amazed, and transformed as we unravel the mysteries of the happy place. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our episode number 10. Today, we're going to discuss some juicy topics about taking risks in life, about throwing ourselves into challenges in order to find happy place. As some of you know that I'm quite famous for that. I'm definitely a radical person who loves to take risks. I practice extreme sports and I've been exploring BDSM and all kinds of uh, psychedelic explorations and just looking for different dimensions of edginess, of uh, thrill, of challenge, of places that really scare me. So it's been my life pretty much and it's been evolving of course but i'm always happy to meet like-minded people who can share a bits of their pieces on that so at least i feel like i'm not alone in a way and i wanted to share a bit with you now about the recent meeting i had which was really unusual i was reading a book um a friend gave me a book like you gotta read it and the book called seek the risk like oh of course they gave it to me of course if it's titled like this it's for me um so but then i started started to read and I was so captivated. It's so rare that when I read a book, it's just, I just want to swallow it all without postponing it. And there were moments that I was crying. It was like really aha moments, really feeling how I got really touched in some deeper places in me, which felt like just through words, through the transmission book, I felt so connected, like I'm seen, I'm understood, I'm not alone. Like there are so many similarities and feeling into that thinking, well, I don't feel like it's just relates to people who are as radical as me who are into extreme sports, but it can really relate to so many people who are exploring challenges in life, exploring the aspect of what makes them happy, psychological challenges, physical challenges, taking risks versus staying in comfort zone. So uh, long story short, I got to connect with the author of the book. I was so lucky to find him and catch him and invite him here to share a bit more of his story, of his insights, because I find it to be so fascinating. And also it's beautiful that we happen to be in a similar communities uh, of extreme sports athletes and play party goers and people who are exploring sex parties, sex positive community of New York City. But I don't want to speak much further. I want to have our guest introduce himself. We have Adam here. Can you share a bit more about yourself, Adam? Uh, hey, Rina. Um, sure. Thanks for having me here. This is this is great. <laughs> um, share about myself. I grew up in New York City, which you normally don't think of as the type of environment that would produce someone who gets into extreme outdoor sports. Uh, but I grew up in New York City in the very late 80s, which was a pretty wild and crazy place. And I think that the adventure that I found in and around the different neighborhoods in New York City um, really uh, imparted on me this idea that adventures and excitement and pushing yourself to go where things are a little edgy, a little scary. Um, uh, 
produced in, incredible results for me in, in terms of satisfaction with, with an adventure. And I took that. And once I left New York and after I graduated college, I went out into, into America. I drove all over the United States for about 10 years, hit every state, uh, doing a lot of climbing and base jumping and skydiving and really pushing the limits of what I, where I was comfortable, really going out there to try and find what I could, uh, what I could do. Um, as I got older, I started, I took that adventurous spirit and then started directing it towards business. Um, but I applied a lot of the lessons I had learned uh, about fear and about discomfort and about pushing yourself to go where you are uncomfortable. Uh, I took those lessons and applied them to business and that, that worked out pretty well for me. And then the very end of my thirties, I met a woman <laughs> who showed me all the same sort of fear and tension in a, in a relationship, uh, an open relationship, but I'd never experienced anything like that before. And then once again, I took my uh, adventurous spirit and said, well, let me apply it to a relationship and see what happens. And that's what the book is about, about that relationship. Cause I was not at all prepared for what I, uh, what I got myself into. And that's uh, it's a little bit of background about me in the book. <laughs> mm, yes. And I just listened to you and felt back into the book and thinking, wow, how fascinating it is to hear someone who is so deeply um, conditioned at this point to go into risks, to go into challenges and finds a lot of satisfaction there and how much risk and challenge has been found specifically through exploring open relationship, non-monogamy, right? Seeing the partner who sleeps with other people, which is a major hit for males' ego, I can imagine. And as I was reading the book, I could feel it. And that was so beautiful. I think that was the part that really touched me about the book. It's so rare to hear men being so open about emotions, about fears, about different ways to deal with this. And it's like being in this perfect sweet spot where you're not escaping it. Like, fuck that shit. I don't want this anymore. It's not for me. I will rather do my other extreme sports, like not escaping the challenge. And at the same time, while staying in it, not trying to change the partner, not trying to mold things. I want it my way. I don't like it. But instead being humble, being open, being curious and learning a lot about yourself and the process, taking it as a process of self-discovery. So let's start one by one. There are so many points I want to cover in this chat here because you're such a fascinating human and I can relate to you in so many ways. The idea of seeking your risk, right? The idea of seeking challenge. I already have um, uh, my first episode is actually about my first skydive, the first podcast episode here in the series. So it's the idea of throwing yourself outside of your comfort zone, having um, some intensity, a peak experience, something that makes you really slow down and connect to what's really important in life. How would you describe your adventures when it comes to doing something that really scares you, that really challenges you as you've done so many different extreme sports? We're talking about skydiving, but also rock climbing, but also surfing, but also free diving and base jumping, which maybe some listeners don't know what it is. Base jumpers is when you're jumping off objects, when you're not jumping out of airplane with parachutes, but you are jumping with parachute from a fixed object, such as antenna, cliff, um, 
building, <laughs> antenna cliff uh, building and uh, bridge. Yeah, like different type of objects that you can jump from with the parachute. Free diving is when you're going underwater with um, one breath hold, as opposed to scuba diving when you're having oxygen tanks. So just giving a bit of definition in case some people don't know what things what, what these things represent. But I see you covered pretty much all of them. <laughs> you have a lot of different extreme sports, which is so impressive how you had um, had a chance to practice all of this. And it's uh, fascinating to read the different uh, chapters in your book devoted to different peak experiences that you had in uh, in this extreme sports. So can you share how, uh, what is the satisfaction for you when it comes to challenging yourself in such radical ways? It's so the, the title seek the risk is actually a shortened um, it's actually seek the risk, not the reward. And what that life philosophy is about understanding that when we push ourselves to do things that there's a very good chance we might fail or that we're terrified to do, that we're doing it for the experience itself, not necessarily the end goal. And obviously you're doing it because you're trying to achieve something, but it's, it's the, the, the real reward is in the experience and what you learn about yourself when you push yourself into places, go beyond your comfort zone. That's where the real learning happened. That's where the real impact on your soul or impact on my soul. That's what I found is that whenever I got out of my comfort zone, that's where I really had the best experiences, be them failures or successes. It didn't matter. And I realized that at a pretty early age. So then as I got older and started, you know, young adult, the extreme sports were sort of a natural extension of that. Um, there was a bit of a nefarious side to it as well for me, which I talk about uh, in the book as a young man in my 20s. Not only was I doing it because I I love the intensity of the experiences and I loved how much it challenged myself, there was also an element of ego in that I was trying to impress people. And so as a younger man, I kind of had both those things going on, which I in the book chronicles how I start understanding where my ego motivations were and start tempering those back and start diving into experiences purely for the experience itself. And the fact that, oh, I don't want to do that, but I'm going to try anyway, or I'm going to do it because I'm scared, or I'm going to do it because I don't think I can do it and I'm going to fail in front of people, but that's okay. The very experience of pushing yourself into there, into those places is where you learn a tremendous amount about yourself. And when you do push through it and get to the other side, again, whether it's success or failure, there's an unbelievable amount of satisfaction when you push yourself a place you don't want to go. And that kind of satisfaction, you, there's no way to get that except by pushing yourself to where you're uncomfortable. And it doesn't matter where the line is. You don't have to jump off the big, biggest building in the world. It's, you could jump off a tree if that's where your comfort zone is. Just being able to push yourself, to me, just gave me such a wonderful feeling in the evening to sit and have a have dinner, have food. Food tastes better. Beer tastes better. Everything has this vibrancy when you've gone through an experience like that that you didn't want to do because you were uncomfortable. Mm, so what I'm hearing is this satisfaction you have from the process, not from reward, which really speaks to many of us, as I can imagine, because so many of us live lives for the rewards, right? Doing things for the reward. Like imagine 
having a job only in order to get gratification at the end to pay your bills, but then you might not enjoy the process or perhaps even people can stay in relationships because kids are happy. Like there are so many situations that I'm seeing all around me where people pursuing something, doing something actively involved in something where they are not getting satisfaction in the process, but instead actually postponing that satisfaction. So maybe later I will get my gratification, but not right now. Well, when you practice something challenging that scares you like this action sports that are dangerous, you don't know how it's going to come out. Nobody gives you any guarantees. So in a way you're forced to be really present and being with yourself in that moment. And I remembered all of a sudden my experience of a base jump. I was going in the mountains in Switzerland with a guy, with a friend who was base jumping with me. And it was, it's scary. You go into the exit point where you're going to jump off. You don't know whether you're going to survive. And I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm feeling this acutely, like all the, my life story rushes through my head. And, and then he tells me all of a sudden, like, well, after the jump, we're going to have a dinner here. And then we're going to probably do another jump. And I'm telling him, look, stop this. I cannot think that are i'm right here let me really stay with my experience right here because that's the whole point for me so i can really see where you're pointing here and adam it's the same situation that you are really invited to be present to get out of your patterns to already think what's next what's coming but really indulge in this moment because you might not have any more like how do you know you're going to be fine after this jump you don't there is never I guarantee that you're going to walk away in one piece. You might walk away with broken pieces or not even walk away at all. So it's always a chance as we've both been in the sports for a while. We know that people are dying in this action sports. That's why they're called extreme sport, especially when it comes to base jumping. Things happen to people when you push your limits like that. Um, yes, there is a chance. There is a really good chance that you don't get to walk away from that experience. And that's what really acutely brings us to that appreciation of simplicity of this moment, which is definitely, we don't recommend you to start base jumping <laughs> after this. Podcast. But what we can recommend you is really consider where in life you are feeling like you leave, you just pass time in order to get something in the future as opposed to really being able to dive into this moment and perhaps you can try a different way, even something as simple as taking a different road to go to work as opposed to taking the same road and just thinking, okay, I'm in traffic. When do I get back to work? I don't want to be here. But instead, take an adventurous road, take a risky road, take something that feels somehow different, exciting and unknown without any guarantees that this road will be more beautiful or faster but that will get you outside of your comfort routine. And this way you get to experience something you haven't experienced before. And I find a lot of beauty in life happens in the places that you don't know, because then this anticipation happens, aliveness happens, excitement and enthusiasm, right? The enthusiasm for life itself, because life can be full of surprises. Life doesn't have to be scripted and monotonous and exactly the same as yesterday, but actually there can be surprises in life. And I see a lot of beauty in action sports like that is for being surprised, being enthusiastic, being alive, being motivated, being curious, being vulnerable. That's another aspect of extreme sports 
which uh, also you covered a bit in the book where like there is this aspect of being cool and macho and showing off and then the aspect of allowing yourself to be scared to be frightened to be emotional like what is it like for you to experience both sides of being courageous and cool and then also being terrified and being vulnerable and maybe other emotions that are challenges that are coming up for you in this sports. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I will admit that the being vulnerable was something that took a while to, to, uh, arrive. Uh, originally I thought that fear was an obstacle, uh, towards the things I wanted to achieve to base jumps, to rock climbs, to certain snowboard, you know, certain extreme snowboarding routes. Fear was in the way of me being able to have that trophy, that notch on my bed bedpost. And um, as I got older into my later 20s, I started understanding that that the fear, it, it, I didn't achieve things. In, it was The fear was the whole point. Getting through the fear, understanding the fear, managing the fear, understanding, understanding what it did uh, to me in terms of overcoming it and, and being able to compartmentalize it. That was the point, not just to be able to say I, I, I did something. Um, because when you're, when, you're over, when you're over the line, when you're into an area that you're not comfortable, when you've gone beyond your safety zone and you're in that danger zone, so to speak, whatever it is, it doesn't matter if it's whatever your danger zone is, whenever you're in it, that's all you can focus on. And there's a beauty in letting go of the rest of your life for the moment and focusing on this one thing and managing it and getting through it that allows, at least for me, it, all the other mundane parts of life became so much easier, family, job, whatever it is, being able to get through fear, manage it, to accept it, to be humbled by it. When you come through the other side of that, it's this incredibly peaceful feeling, um, and I guess that's that's the happiness you were referring to in, in the beginning. Mm, oh, my God. I'm so feeling it that as yeah. I can perceive this difference between uh, just pushing the fear away and just pushing through and just well, it's not so getting much pushing it. the fear away. And it's then it's, it's accepting the fear. And this is the humility. Yeah. You know, this is the, the right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. There's like another way of actually being yeah. befriending it, like allowing it to be with you, like embracing it, being with that. So I can see there are two paths and I've seen it in this in extreme sports as I've been there for quite some time, seeing how some people are more like, I don't want to pay attention to this fear. I'm going to do it and I will be cool. I can do it. I'm courageous. And then there is another side of someone like, well, I, I can admit that I'm scared. It's terrifying. It's uh, emotional. My legs are shaking, like feeling the symptoms in the body, in the mind, the kind of thoughts that are rushing through and just allowing ourselves to be with that. And then coming through to the other side and being actually different person in a way. Oh, absolutely. Those all those, years. all those experiences change you. Um, any intense experience is going to leave a mark on you and it's going to change you and being able to manage it and, and come through it will, I think, improves, improves your perspective, improves your understanding of yourself. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah, then it's a really transformational. It's, actually an opportunity to see what it's like for you to be with that discomfort in the midst of it to kind of find the eye of the storm 
as opposed to pretending yeah. the storm is I, not there, which I can see for the listener can be. I, I used to think there was. Here, sorry, I think I used to think there was something wrong with me because I was afraid. That's how that's how I started out in the sports. Oh, I'm something wrong with me. All these other guys, they're not afraid. Until then, I realized, wait, no, oh, yeah. it's okay to be afraid. Everyone's afraid. <laughs> they're just pretending they're not. And once you accept that, it's, it's freeing. It's freeing. The vulnerability becomes freeing. I always felt intuitive uh, pull towards jumpers and athletes who are not afraid to confess their fears as opposed to those who are too cool because it's kind of human, you know? It feels nice to connect with in different ways, not only through our glory and beauty and courage, but also through our humanness. And it's really special when we can connect in these places of our vulnerabilities, our fears, and just sit there on the exit point and then before the base jump and confess, I'm scared, me too, I'm also scared, and not try to fix it or change it or and, um, make any meaning out of it, but just to be there together in that fear. And it's so uniting. It's so, um, like, it no longer matters where we come from, like what our jobs are and how much success we have in either extreme sports or other realms, but it's just that moment of being together in the midst of the storm and just bearing it, like bearing this unbearable feelings because sometimes for me at least, I, I'm, I'm an emotional person and sometimes for me it starts to feel so unbearable to be in the midst of fear because it can be paralyzing, it can be like my legs are becoming like cotton balls like I'm barely walking those legs like how I'm gonna do it and my mind is like driving me nuts like insane it just feels so intense that it's unbearable and yet I'm still there I'm still sitting in the midst of this unbearable sensations and when I can share it with the other who says oh my god I totally get you I'm here I'm in the same place maybe there are some variations of the experience but I'm in the same place. I'm also scared. I'm not doing this because I'm courageous. So I feel like this is such a useful thing we're sharing right now because there is a common misconception that uh, people who practice extreme sports, they are fearless. <laughs> they don't have any fear and they're so courageous. And trust me, I've been a victim of this misconception a lot in life. So often people assume that I'm this badass who has no fear. And uh, based on that assumptions, they would... I don't know, project all kinds of things on me, like give me like, I don't know, higher dose of psychedelics, for example, just because I'm such a badass, I need more probably. Or like somehow like assume that I can easily handle so many challenges in life because, well, you know, she jumps off airplanes. No, I'm probably getting and going for a job interview. It's nothing for her. She's just so courageous. She doesn't have any fear. And which is so not true. It's just that, we have fear. Everyone who does this extreme sports and action sports and risks, they have fear. Some of us are just more ready to expose it openly and honestly, and others tend to just hide it for the sake of the image. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're humans. We all have fear. You don't have to be an extreme sports uh, participant to to experience fear, right? We find fear in, in life everywhere. Fear can be from a business venture. Fear can be from a relationship, as I talk about in the book. Fear, whatever you as a person are afraid of, and maybe it's a regular sport. It doesn't have to be an extreme sport. Just find your fear. Find find it. Go seek your fear out. It's Life is interesting when you go, when you run towards your fear. Mm. 
Yeah, I know a lot of artists. Uh, one of my favorite artists is Marina Abramovich. She has a famous quote. She's a performance artist, and she has a famous quote that I go for places that really scare me, and that's kind of the secret of her successful art because she pushes her limits to the places that are scary. And I find a lot of aliveness there. And of course, it has to be done respectfully towards our limits, our boundaries, our physical bodies. And it's best to really take care of ourselves as much as possible. But at the same time, going in that direction and really embracing fear instead of trying to push it away and conquer it, but just being with that. It definitely opens up a whole new dimensions of happiness. I'm not afraid to say that. It really opens up this whole new dimension of happiness and empowerment. Because then if you've been there with that fear, there is a sense that like, wow, I can do it. Like it's scary. It's frightening. My legs are shaking. My voice is trembling. I can do it. For me, stage fear is one of my biggest ones too. And I go there. I'm trying now to get more speaking gigs so I can speak more in front of the audience. And it's scary. Okay, first time when I had like audience of a couple of hundred, I had to take some Xanax. What to do? That was my only solution. <laughs> but I don't want to do it all the time. I want to face it. I want to yeah, go there. I want to be in that emotion. What to do? I'm still going to be alive after that. Even if they really throw those rotten tomatoes on me, I'm still going to end up walking away. It's not as intense as base jumping, but let's talk about this because I can see that the topic of psychological fear versus physical fear is a really fascinating one because it's so easy to assume that when you're doing physical risks, it's a lot more difficult and then emotional risks are a lot easier after that. And in your book, you actually expose <laughs> that it's not quite true. After a decade of practicing all these action sports and risking your life in so many ways, you found that a lot of your tender spots are in emotional risks. And when your ego is threatened, basically, when you're being pushed from your pedestal within your own psyche, when you think you're the king and you're cool and you got it, and and then all of a sudden you've been really challenged in that direction. Can you share a bit more what you think about the psychological fear versus physical fear? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all, it's all wrapped up together, but the, in the book, when I, uh, when I meet Jane and we, I have this opportunity, opportunity, we, we start falling for each other and, and a relationship is developing and she's this very, very public uh, female empowerment, uh, female sexuality empowerment activist. And um, the way she engaged with the rest of the world was very open sexually. And for me, coming from this world of extreme sports, which at the time was very male dominant, very ego driven, very org chart, I'm tougher than you. We all, I, I came in to the relationship with a, an idea in my head about who I was and how tough I was and, and I can handle almost anything. And it was the relationship that she presented me with was very scary. And well, it was scary. So I thought, oh, well, I'll run towards it then. Cause I like, I, I run towards scary things. Cause I like, I like the challenge. Um, and there was this very egotistical idea in my head that, well, I've been able to, to push through all these physical risks in ways most people can't. This is just an emotional risk. How hard could it be? Um, and I was not prepared for the amount of judgment and the amount of self, um, 
my my value as a man got totally reduced in the eyes of the public when everyone found out, oh, his girlfriend, wife, she's sleeping with all these other guys. And that was just a, such a major blow to my ego. I, I, I don't even know if words can do it justice. It was this idea of, holy cow, all these, all these markers that I'd been using in my life to say how masculine I am, how much of a man I am, they were just totally removed. And then I was left like, I didn't know where to go. I was open. I was vulnerable. I had my heart, everything was exposed and I could have walked away. And I thought, well, if you really believe in this philosophy of seek the risk, not the reward, you need to dive into this and find out what's really going on and, and why it's so terrifying to have all this emotional risk that you've never had, you've never really had before in your life. And so that's sort of what the meat of the book is about, is me trying to take all the lessons that I learned about physical risk and vulnerability there and fear and apply it to emotional fear and emotional risk. Uh, and uh, it worked out pretty well. <laughs> so the key theme here is jealousy, basically being experiencing like that's threats in the psyche when you see a woman that you love, right, that you share life with, with another man, or even with multiple <laughs> men, as she was yeah, pretty she radical was. <laughs> based on the book, <laughs> that she really went wild, like all the play parties, orgies, multiple partners, like a lot of challenges to offer. And there was something in you that wanted to stick to that and experience that vulnerability and be yeah, broken open. It was, it was two extent. things though. It wasn't just, it was, yes, there was the jealousy, but, and I had, I had had other relationships that were somewhat you know, non-traditional where there was some, there was some fun on the side here and there, but that had always been with my partners, threesomes and such. Um, and also it was very private. That wasn't a thing I ever discussed with the general public. And now with this relationship, not only was I dealing with jealousy because she wanted the only relationship model she would accept was she wanted to go up and have sex with people on her own. So there was the jealousy component, but then there was the public component. She was absolutely public about being non-monogamous and that women should be as sexually open as they want to, or as little as they want to, that they should have the same freedoms that men have. And while I totally agree with that, when it's you that everyone's seeing, that was really hard for me publicly to get shamed like that from so many people when my partner was out there with her megaphone talking about all the great sex she's having. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was challenging. Wow. Well, I can see it's a really it was double, a double challenge, challenge yeah. here. The first, your own jealousy, and then the public opinion where you're being exposed. And not only she speaks about herself in public, but also adds you to the rotation as you are also being exposed in so many ways that are really private and vulnerable things are becoming public. And then you have to deal with the public opinion. And then you are also in the community of people who are in this um, super masculine <laughs> culture of extreme sports athletes who are alpha and all of that. So that adds to the equation because they are often not as open and conscious about such things and their judgments can be really intense and direct and rush, rough oh, yeah. and harsh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, wow. it was, and, and I want to, I also want to say that the, the, the connection I had with Jane 
was real. It was an amazing connection in terms of not just the sex, but everything else we did in life. We just, we, we, we saw eye to eye on so many levels. So the thought of having to lose that, I didn't want to lose that aspect. And which is what drove me to say yes. And to run towards this fear. Had, had we not had, it, I wasn't just seeking fear for the sake of fear. There was a benefit to being in this relationship and that this was the woman I wanted to be with. Uh, but it was being with her in a way that was going to just, that I thought I couldn't, I, I, it, I just, I couldn't handle it. But I, I knew that the reasons I couldn't handle it were internal. It was because of my own shortcomings. It was because of my own insecurities. And what I wanted to make sure was if I was going to say no to this relationship, I wanted to say no for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. And saying no just to protect my ego was the wrong reason. So that's that's kind of why I went in it. Wow. So based on so much learnings that you picked up throughout this, I don't want to go through <laughs> each one because there are a lot of them in the books. So whoever wants to go learn more about this journey can read the book. It's going to be in show notes. But uh, based on everything you've picked up as far as the insights and, and learnings and this experience of being so like broken open and vulnerable and going through that, these challenges of public judgment and jealousy and fears and um, yeah, ego death, basically, it feels like a lot can be described as just having your ego being crushed. Everything you thought that represents who you are as a man is being challenged. Like, what would you recommend to people who are experiencing something like this? Like people who are going through intense ego death or like intense jealousy, like, for example, going for open monogamy for the first time and feeling that threat, that jealousy, that, that vulnerability of just being so raw and tender and unprotected and insecure and like rapid heartbeat, all the symptoms that come with this challenging experience of being pushed beyond our psychological limits. Like what would your be your recommendation? What can they do? What they can practice or try? Yeah. And, and this is, this is where all the extreme sports uh, training or years really paid off in learning that fear was natural. So the first thing I would, I would say is the emotions you're feeling are real. They're real emotions, but, what's unclear is what's what's driving them right are you jealous because because of something your partner did or are you jealous because you're afraid of what it says about you or where is the jealousy coming from i i i talk about how i think there's sort of two at least two types of jealousy there's the good jealousy and there's the bad jealousy and the good jealousy is oh my partner has might have other options well that should drive me to be a better partner, right? I always want to show up for my partner. And I, I call that a little bit of good jealousy. And I think it's really healthy to have a small amount of that in every relationship. But then there's the bad jealousy, which was what I was dealing with is threats to my ego. And that's bad jealousy. You can't, I, so I would implore people who are trying to get into non-monogamy and who are starting to struggle with it to really dive in to what's driving the emotions that you're having because the emotions are real and they can be devastating. I know I was basically curled up in a ball on the floor, just thrashing with, with pain at times. But that was, that was because of the death of the ego, my ego, all the things, all the markers that I had that said who I was as a man were getting trashed and I was, my ego was dying. So 
the first thing I'd say is when when the heavy emotions come up, it's sort of like that's when the hood the hood is up on the car and you can work on the engine. So when real strong emotions come up, don't waste that. Use it to be introspective, either with a therapist or on your own if if you're good at at, at self reflection. Um, the whole um, self, you know, only only an examined life is a life worth living, and you really got to sink into that, right? Socrates, right? I believe that was Socrates uh, said that. So you got to examine, examine your emotions, figure out what's driving them. And a lot of the book I dedicate to to trying to understand where these things were coming from, why I was, why my ego is taking such a hit from a woman who was just being who she was. She was just who she was. She was like that before she met me. She'd be like that after she meets me. It, it wasn't personal. And I, it was really hard to, um, to first absorb that. Now that doesn't mean anytime your partner does anything, you have to go, Oh, it's probably me, not them. Sure, there's trust violations and that's, that's a separate issue. And you need to decide if your emotion is a valid emotion or it's due or being driven by ego. So that's the, that's the first thing I would really say is that try your best to understand where the emotion's coming from and, and never immediately react. Always sit with, sit with your emotion, simmer in it, really feel it out, find where it's coming from before you react, before you say something you're going to regret. <laughs> Mm, emotional maturity, emotional awareness. That's what it comes down to. Like using your emotions as a fuel for becoming more mature in that, becoming wiser, knowing when your emotions have something legit to share and perhaps you need to change something in your life or when your emotions are completely irrational and they just bring some unnecessary noise in your life where you don't really need it. And being able to discern, right, when it's the right. false call, when it's the something important. And I can see that people can relate to it because there is a lot of unreasonable jealousy in life. Like there are a lot of people like, oh my God, I'm having so much fear, I'm falling asleep. And what if my partner is with someone else? I cannot sleep anymore. Like, and then investigating, well, is this fear really legit? Do I have reasons to be afraid? What is our negotiation and what kind of relationship dynamic we have? And really investigating that. We also fear about money. Uh, if you just wake up in anxiety that you, tomorrow you're going to be bro broken, then you're going to be without anything to eat, dying under the bridge. Um, some people wake up like that. And then it's also a good opportunity to, hey, let's, investigate this is this fear yeah. really legit am i really under threat am i really physically endangered or what's the worst that can really happen here like what is the reality of my thing maybe i can get on top of my finances and dig deeper and understand where i'm at with that so i can see where my fear of losing it is rational and where my fear is completely made up which has nothing to do with the current reality of the way things are. Like you said, like your partner just being the way she is. And why do I have to suffer when she's just the way she is? Why do yeah, I have to feel have to like it's a threat for me when she just lives her life? Yeah, when she lives her life to the fullest and enjoys herself, why it makes me suffer. And I really love the way you shared at the end of the book that your one of your conclusions there is realizing that, um, please correct me if I'm wrong, but that's at least the way I perceived it, is that you realize that um, 
you were disregarding your own emotional needs. And that, uh, that's a really big part of this, that perhaps having your, um, your own needs for emotional closeness being fulfilled is so important to you that perhaps that your partner who is knowing what she needs and really going for it is quite a trigger because you are not going for what's really important to you, which can be an interesting insight to see that, aha, uh -huh, it's not that the fact that she is having fun and having different men in her lives that really triggers me. It's the fact that I'm not going for my deepest desire. Is this right? It's like, please challenge to share your... Yeah, you're basically, yes. I, I talk about that this, um, she knew what her needs were when we were together and I didn't really know what mine were. So I kind of rolled with it. And during the journey, I found out what my needs were. And once I found them out, they became important to me, uh, much the same way her needs were important to her. And that was, that was a beautiful realization. Someone said, you, you went on a journey to fall in love with a woman and you ended up falling in love with yourself. Um, and I was like, oh, that's a, that's a great descriptor of it. And, and my friend was right who said that. It was um, under, trying to finally, once I cleared away all the veneers, all the ego, everything that was pre preventing me from living my true self, once I got rid of all that, then I was able to see clearly the things that I liked about the relationship and the things I didn't like about the relationship and how those related to the things that I wanted in the relationship. So once I removed the bad stuff, I was like, oh, I could see clearly. It was, it was remarkable. And I also want to be clear, this was a seven-year journey. This was not something that I learned overnight. The book, the book chronicles about seven, eight years of my life as I was, as I was going through this. So I, I don't want to minimize the amount of work and the amount of effort and the amount of pain and the amount of joy that I went through on this because there was a lot of happiness and a lot of joy but it was mixed in with some some deep some deep learning about myself and some deep pain mm, wow i just love how you wrapped it up yeah so what i'm hearing is this conclusion of there is so much benefit in taking the risk of diving into yourself and learning and introspecting and analyzing your feelings, your emotions and sitting with them and being with them and going through pain sometimes, just sitting with that pain. And then when finally everything falls off, you get to come closer to yourself. Yeah. Ultimately. That's the ultimate reward of seeking yeah, the Yeah, but it's, it's important to, to, and it's important to understand that I, I, it only makes sense to take the risks unless where you want to get to is something you really want to get to. I, I, I talk a lot about climbing in the book because that was sort of my main extreme sport, um, uh, free soloing, ropeless climbing and such. And you know, that was a risk that I took, but it was because I wanted, I, I was, I desperately desired to want to climb certain things. And sometimes you can't climb without ropes and the goals, the things I was shooting for, the risks I was taking only made sense in the larger context of my life. The same thing with this relationship it only made sense to get into uh, this open relationship with this with Jane because I wanted to be with Jane. And I thought, well, maybe I do want an open relationship. It only made sense to take those risks. So I, I would love your, what I want to leave your listeners with is risk for this, just for the sake of risk doesn't make sense. Risk with the sake of this is how I want to live my life within the context of that, then it makes sense. So if you're trying to get into non-monogamy and it's scary and terrifying, there's risks, well, don't take those risks if an open relationship isn't what you want. 
but you can also do it like oh, I want to try it, but it may not be for you. You have to accept that when you're when you when you're going to the unknown, a you have to have a good reason, and b you have to know that you know I may come back and decide that that it wasn't for me. Oh, so it's there is a fine balance about taking the risk for the sake of risk, not for the reward, but at the same time having that risk congruent with the bigger picture yeah. of your life. There has to be somehow that it fits your philosophy, fits where you want to be, fits that your overall drive in life like what is meaningful for you to be basically in line with your values yeah i wanted to climb mountains so i took the risks that i needed to take to climb mountains because it it gave me a tremendous amount of happiness and same thing with this relationship i went into this open relationship because all the other parts of the relationship gave me so much happiness that okay well then i really want to be in this relationship so i'm going to take these risks because they make sense in the larger context of what mm. i want and i see many people can relate to this because for most people in life there is a period where they need to burn everything down and start fresh because somehow 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 the previous action relationship career uh, didn't no longer felt satisfying and there is this moment of you needing to burn it all down and start new without any guarantee that this new will be better but most of us are forced to go through those thresholds in life where we just need to cut everything and let go and delete and uh, say goodbyes and or maybe move to a new location where you don't know anyone or try a new career that you don't know yet and it's really scary and uh, based on my life at least I see that that's one of the biggest fears for me to really cut everything and start fresh and I can see that the only way this risk is possible when the reward like not the even the reward but the value system feels congruent because for example I'm staying in a career that I don't like or I'm staying in a relationship that is no longer satisfying but it's a comfort zone and I, I've been there for some times and I can be there for much longer. Great. But then in my value system, it's like, I want to live life that feels like I'm on fire, that I'm waking up being happy to be alive, that I'm loving what I'm doing. I'm enjoying every moment of it. And then this is not the case. And it's no longer working for me, no matter how hard I try. So that value system for me gives this bigger picture for the risk that I'm taking. Although the risk is real, maybe my new career or new relationship will not be any better. It will be even worse, or maybe I will be so broke and desperate and insecure and alone for the rest of my life. The fear, of course, is there because nobody in life gives you a guarantee, but that larger value system of like knowing what's important to you, what's valuable to you, what you came to this life for is really helpful when it comes to taking larger risks. So thank you so much for bringing us to this topic that, yeah, risk has to be um, somehow justified by something larger or something greater, by something valuable, important, significant, right? And we can definitely leave our listeners with that, that you're not seeking risk for the reward, like immediate reward guarantee at the end of the tunnel, right? But you are seeking risk because... Um, because of your values, because of something, because your soul is on fire, because you just intuitively feel it's for you. Like you can explain it in many different ways, but there is something greater than yourself that calls sure. you to take yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a word game because you're not, I mean, right? Because obviously yeah. we, we're going for the reward, but don't be so attached to the to the to the outcome one way or the other. Be attached to the experience of getting there, which is, that's the risk, right? Be attached to the experience. Mm. And if 
Yeah. Beautiful. Wow. I feel like there are so many <laughs> important elements we covered, starting from um, the um, importance of getting outside of comfort zone and just throwing yourself in the unknown, whichever you perceive to be outside of your comfort zone or whatever is extreme or dangerous to you. But that's definitely bringing up a lot of aliveness and enthusiasm and juiciness for life. Right? This is our learnings from collective experiences of extreme sports. And then the second one is that actually uh, fear is real. It's not to be dismissed or denied. It's not to be pushed aside and conquered, but it's more about befriending it, being able to really dive through that fear and come out renewed on the other side because being courageous enough to stay in the eye of the storm, to stay in the midst of the storm is actually what really transforms you as a human being. Right. And then the, the, the third point is that the reward about the risk, right? Risking for something important to you, risking for the sake of something really valuable to you that you feel like your life is mm -hmm. worth living for that kind of risk is really great. And the last thing that we could share just a tiny bit before we wrap this up is the non-monogamy, the risk of that, right? As you mentioned, there is a risk of public opinion. There is a risk of jealousy. There is a lot of risk in that. And yet it's not black and white because there are different types of non-monogamous relationships available. We cannot go into every possible detail. <laughs> it's not a podcast for that. But maybe you can just enlighten through your own experience, enlighten our audience of different <laughs> degrees of risks and challenges and types of non-monogamous relationships available and where you stand these days after everything that you've been through. That's uh, funny because um, what's funny here is is Jane, the, the antagonist in the book, um, she uh, is a social scientist. She has a PhD in psychology and she, she teaches human sexuality and human development. So a lot of what I know I have learned from Jane because I lived with a social scientist. Uh, but so according to what she told me, <laughs> um, the kind of non-monogamy that Jane and I had was uh, open open monogamy, really. We were partnered emotionally, just the two of us, and yet we had lots of sexual experiences outside of the confines of the relationship. That was the that was the non-monogamy. Sometimes it would be at sex part, play parties. Uh, sometimes it would just be individual dates. Sometimes it would be a swinging uh, situation with another couple. Uh, but we only considered each other the partners. And then there's polyamory, which someone would have uh, multiple partners, multiple loves, multiple people they considered, oh, this is my this is my partner and this is my partner, as opposed to this is just someone I play with. Uh, so what we what we like I said, what we practiced was was um, open monogamy. I tried doing polyamory a little bit at uh, towards the end of the book, I meet a woman. And I actually kind of fell for her pretty hard. Um, and I won't go into the details because there's, there's, there's reasons around all that in the book. But for a period of time, I was involved with two women, uh, very emotionally in two different cities. And that was exhausting to me. I, I just, splitting my love like that between two, two women was, I never want to do that again. Um, I, I like, I realized I really like having a partner. Um, now I, I've mm -hmm. polyamory is when you can have two emotional emotionally, involvement. Yeah. Like and then there's different levels. There's non-hierarchical polyamory or there's hierarchical 
polyamory, which is means you have a primary, but then you have some lesser, or then there's non-hierarchical, where I think everyone is everyone's equal. There is no primary partner. Um, so uh, where I am now is I I I've learned I like non-monogamy. It's I think it makes life a lot more interesting. Um, it makes a lot more fun. There's a lot of happiness involved uh, with it. I I think it's you're going to have problems in your relationship, whether it's monogamous, whether it's non-monogamous. You're always going to have problems. The question of which problems would you rather have? And life is more interesting to me with non-monogamy because I, it's fun playing with new people. It's fun playing with a new body. It's fun feeling sexy and being able to flirt and be engaging. Like it's just, it's very, for me, it's very invigorating. Um, and it's not for everybody. I recognize that. But so that's where I am now. I, I'm currently single. I would love to have a partner, but I I won't get into a monogamous relationship ever again, I'm pretty sure. There needs to be some flexibility because I think that that adds some spice to life that I really like, adds a little risk, adds a little adventure. <laughs> the last thing. So these days you are a risk, but it's a bit more yeah. manageable kind of risk, not as intense as things that you described yeah. throughout the book. Um, what else can I say about it? It's, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, life's an adventure and you should always be pushing your boundaries a little bit and see where it takes you. Um, and that's how I feel about relationships. Uh, you want someone who's going to celebrate the way you express to the world and it's going to celebrate you pushing yourself wherever that direction is. It doesn't matter, but that's, that's what you want. That's what I want. Anyway. Mm. Oh, I can relate so much. So beautiful what you shared. And I will be so curious to hear any feedback from our listeners. If those for whom this was interesting, please don't hesitate to contact us. We're going to leave some um, information on show notes or definitely information about the book. And if you enjoy this podcast, please leave um, five stars and review and subscribe if you don't want to miss any more podcasts. And Adam, thank you so much for your presence here. I can only imagine how many people will find a lot of um, wisdom, reconciliation and uh, aha moments in your sharing because you come to share on such deep meaningful topics from a place of being a human not being some unachievable superhero but actually sharing yourself really openly about your challenges struggles fears and rewards and, so and failures i share a lot of failures in the book so <laughs> <laughs> and failures because when you're risking there is no way you're not gonna fail there will be failures it's about being able to get up and walk again and again and again and learn from your failures because your mistakes and failures are nothing but feedback so you can do it differently in the future this is how we learn and i feel like there is a true courage in being able to be open raw and vulnerable to be sitting with your fears and to not allow your failures to crush you to get up and start walking again so i would love to leave my listeners with that one and wish you a beautiful beautiful day thank you adam for joining us and let's say goodbye, goodbye. thank you rena this was this was wonderful i really appreciate it